Uh, Finally, we are starting a new uh, sermon series today. It's on the book of Romans. It is titled, By Grace Alone. Uh, the book of Romans for a pastor is one of those things that you you tremble uh, if you think I'm going to uh, exposit on the book of Romans because it's such an important book. And so it's only taken me 14 years uh, in ministry to do this study, uh, but it is starting today. We will be going through the book of Romans uh, for how long? I don't know, as the Spirit directs. <laughs> Uh, But we are going to start now. So let's look at the introduction to the book of Romans. This is Romans 1, 1 through 7, which can be found on the screen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. One of the cool things going on, uh, uh, it's fun to watch your kids grow. And uh, my kids are gotten older. One of my sons, Daniel, is in a band in college at VCU. And uh, he's really uh, enjoying sort of exploring the roots of classic rock and you know we'll hear him playing Fleetwood Mac and all these different bands and it got me sort of nostalgic for the music I used to listen to as a young pup and I came across this song that I remember listening to all the time it was by one of my favorite groups back in the day the police remember the police they wrote a song called uh, message in a bottle from their album I think it was Regatta du Blanc in 1979 And uh, I wanted to read some of the lyrics of that song in which Sting sings that I'm just a castaway, an island lost at sea, another lonely day with no one here but me, more loneliness than any man can bear, rescue me before I fall into despair. And so he sends an SOS to the the world, a message in a bottle, uh, hoping that someone gets it. And uh, the second verse is very interesting. It says that I, I woke up, and I don't believe what I saw. There were a hundred million bottles washed up upon my shore. That it seems I'm not alone in being alone. That all of us are sending out an SOS, hoping that someone gets this message in a bottle. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I do think this is the condition of the human heart. A desire for rescue, a desire for belonging, an understanding and knowing that we need someone or something outside of ourselves to bring wholeness. And so we send this message to the heavens, hoping that somebody gets our SOS. And in the gospel, we discover that God has sent back a message to us. 
a response to the cry of the human heart. And what is it that that message says? Well, that's what the book of Romans is all about. It's all about the gospel. The message that has come back to us is the gospel, the gospel specifically of Jesus Christ. And I think there is no uh, better book in the Bible that outlines and explains in such rich detail what this message from God is. And so we're going to unpack this message over the, pro- over the next year or two. And we're going to begin this message. Uh, Paul begins this message with a greeting. And we're going to look at this first part today. But the greeting, this and the, what follows, actually sums up the entire message of the gospel. That our message in a bottle has been answered. And the message is Jesus Christ. And our response is to trust the message. To respond in faith and obedience. So how do we do these things? We need to do three things Paul is telling us in this introduction. Number one, we have to trust the messenger. And that messenger is Paul who has been sent to tell us about the message. Number two, we have to believe the message that the messenger is bringing to us today. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, number three, we have to respond not only with our heads, but wholeheartedly. Because the message contains the instructions of how we are to respond to the message that God has given. So let's begin by looking at point number one, that we are to trust the messenger. And who is the messenger in the book of Romans? We see it in verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the book of Romans doesn't read like the typical Pauline letter. It's the longest letter in the New Testament by far. And why is that? And it has the longest introduction by far. And the reason it is, is twofold. The first is Paul is introducing himself to a church that he neither founded or has yet visited. Paul is writing to the church in Rome uh, in around Corinth in 57 AD. Nero is the emperor at the time. And so Paul is laying down and establishing his apostolic credentials. Because Paul has been called by God to take the gospel into Italy and then into France, Gaul at the time or whatever it's called, and Spain. And he wants Rome to become the base of operations for this next phase of the gospel. And so he wants to lay out very clearly what the gospel is so that there is accord uh, and everybody is on board. But secondly, he's laying out the book of Romans and writing it because there are some issues in the church, specifically between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews, if you'll recall, in Rome, they were expelled from uh, Rome by the emperor because of uh, these made-up charges. And they are now filtering back into Rome and into the church. And these classic questions are coming up in the church about, can one be made right with God through obeying the law? And what about Abraham? Is he the father of Jews and Christians? What role does the law play? What does Israel have to do 
with all of these things and the plans of God now that Christ has come. And so Paul is writing to answer these questions, to unify the church so that Jews and Gentiles would understand the fullness of the gospel and its implications. And as such, because of these two things, Romans is the most tightly organized of the New Testament letters. It reads more like a theological treatise than, for instance, 1 Corinthians, which we did earlier today. So with that being said, we see Paul's introduction. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This is how he leads with his description of who he is. And this word servant can be translated and should be translated as slave. That's the way they would hear it when they heard the word servant. We need to understand in ancient Rome and in the Middle East, there was a culture, and that culture was divided between those who ruled and those who served. Rome was probably about 900,000 people big, and the estimates are anywhere from 25 to 40% of the people in Rome were slaves of someone else. Now, the position of slavery has differences between that and America. We know that slaves could occupy positions of responsibility and dignity in uh, the master's household. But nevertheless, they were the property of the master to do with as he saw fit. And Paul is an educated, learned man. He should belong to the ruling class. And yet, as he begins this letter to the Romans, he proclaims himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Notice he calls Jesus the Christ, and he calls himself the slave. Paul is saying, I come to you, writing to you, as one who is fully devoted with all of my heart to Jesus Christ. The term servant or slave of God was used in the Old Testament. The Jews would have been familiar with it. The servant of Yahweh is used multiple times in the Old Testament. Indeed, Israel is called the servant of the Lord. But Jesus takes that title and applies it to Christ Jesus. That the natural extension of who we are now that Christ has come is we are servants of Christ Jesus. Christ meaning the Messiah, the King, the Chosen One. Jesus, the one who now rules earth in his father's place. This is the one I serve, is who Paul is, is what Paul is saying. You know, when you introduce yourself to someone in a letter like this, you communicate how you see yourself. Imagine you were writing a letter to some people that you'd never met before, and you wanted to tell them about who you were. Carlos A. Blank, what would I say? Carlos A. Pastor, Carlos A. Husband and a Father, Carlos A. Pickleball Professional. Paul is saying, no, my identity is based on whom I belong to. Well, you might say, I, I'm an American. I can't relate to that. I don't belong to anyone. And I want to say to you that we all belong to someone. We are derived beings. 
And that ultimate chain of ownership terminates with either God and his son, Jesus Christ, or the evil one, Satan. So Paul communicates, I am a slave of Jesus Christ, but I am also an apostle. The word apostle means a sent one or a messenger. Sometimes it's used in a generic sense in the New Testament to to denote one who is delivering a message. But Paul is not using it this way. He's using apostle as a title. See, Jesus gathered a select group of people to himself. uh, uh, And in that select group of people, he chose 12. And they were to follow him. And before uh, Jesus died and was resurrected, he gave them a commission. He made them the official apostles or messengers to take the official message of the gospel. Indeed, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that the church is founded on the apostles. And Paul is saying that I am also an apostle, one uniquely called. And we know of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. But Paul was recognized by the other apostles as belonging to this select group who was entrusted with the official message. Paul is saying to the Romans that I am writing to you and coming to you as Jesus' authorized representative. Look in verse 5, that he has received grace and apostleship. It's not something he attained, but rather something that Jesus has given him himself. He is one who is set apart. And so Paul is writing to the church and to us, not as a private individual, not even as a gifted teacher, but a called apostle whose words bear the authority of Christ himself. Now, why am I going into all of this? The reason I'm going into all of this is what Paul is communicating to us and what we should be hearing is that we can receive Paul's words written here as if they were from Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus, the Father himself. There's no difference than if Jesus Christ was speaking to us and the book of Romans. See, when we read in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What God is saying to us through the scriptures, we can take to the bank as being from the word, the lips of God himself. That when we read this, we recognize that the Lord is speaking to you and I, saying grace and peace to you from me. That I love you and have called you to be a saint. See, words speak truths. And we gloss this over because we say things that we don't mean. And we make mistakes. But these truths are directly from God. So do I believe that when God, it says, God our Father, that this message of grace and truth is from him to us, that he actually is speaking to us. 
I get the opportunity all the time to, not all the time, but often to marry people, which is wonderful uh, because I get the best seat in the house. And I get to watch people stare at each other and say those words and sickness, uh, you know, till sickness and death, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, until death do us part. These solemn words, this covenant of love. And so you wonder, how is it possible to go from that to a position where two people don't want to be with each other anymore and to actually divorce? And the answer is because we are human and we change. And there's no way that we can know what there is coming down the pike, right? We can say these words and mean them as best as we can, but we are weak and we're fragile. And we say things that we regret and we change our minds. But that is not how God works. When God set his affection on you, Christian, you were not even born. And when you became a Christian, maybe as a child, Jesus knew exactly what you were going to be like and what you were going to do 20 years later, 50 years later, a thousand years later. But what God says, he always means. And what he speaks is always true. And we can know what he has said and what he thinks of us because it is right here. We have the very words of God. See, we have gotten the message from the messenger. And we must treat it as the very words of God. You know, if you were on a deserted island and you were going to be there for a while, what, was the, what is the one thing that you would take? Well, that's easy. I, I'd take clothes because I wouldn't want to be cold, or I would take food or implements or a mirror so I could signal and get rescued. But God can get you rescued without these things. God can provide out of nothing. The answer is the Bible. Because what I need to know better and more than anything else in my life is who God is and what he has done and what he is doing in my life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but the very word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I asked you earlier, what's the second part of your name? Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. And now I ask you, what is the most valuable thing in your possessions? Is it your bank account? Is it your house? Is it your looks? All of these things will fade away. But the Bible is God speaking to you. So treat his word as truth. This moves us to our second point. We can trust the messenger, the word of God. And the messenger tells us of the message which we must believe. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, verse 1, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel of God which he promised 
through his prophets uh, in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. See, the gospel is about God's son, Jesus Christ. You see that? A servant called, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised concerning his son. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about a new way to live, turning over a new leaf, figuring out how to live life better, or even figuring out uh, what's wrong with the world. It's about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and his call for us to believe in and follow him. In every other religion, the message that is sent is a message of words. In Islam, it is Allah that provides Muhammad with words to write down and reveal to the people, and they are to obey them. In the Bhagavad Gita, in Hinduism, Krishna is speaking, and these words are given in order for the people to hear. But what has been given to us is a living word. And when I say living word, I mean literally, not figuratively. The gospel and the person of Jesus Christ are synonymous. Who he is and what he does, that is the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't just tell something, the gospel does something. So notice how Paul continues on, this gospel concerning his son, and he begins to describe him. Verse 4, who was declared, excuse me, uh, verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Paul is saying that this gospel, this good news, this message, this person was born into the world. In the line of David, in the occupied state of Israel, in 0 A.D., where he lived 33 years and was condemned, crucified, buried, and then resurrected. This son became a human and died, and then in verse 4 goes on, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when you read that, I don't know if you uh, scratch your head, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power by the spirit, by his resurrection from the dead. Well, wasn't he already the son of God? Why did he have to be declared the son of God by the spirit of holiness through his resurrection? I mean, if you remember, Jesus Christ came into the world and he called God his father, right? When he instructed the disciples to pray, he said, this is how you should pray, our father. But you need to understand that this title, Son of God, has tremendous significance in the Old Testament. See, Jesus has always been the Son of God. From eternity, he has always been called the Son of God. But no human being can be called the Son of God since Adam and Eve resigned their sonship and daughtership. See, the story of the prodigal son is the story of humanity. 
The story of each one of us saying to God, I don't want to be your son anymore. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And so I resign from being your child. See, when Christ came into the world, see, what really gives this away, that what's being talked about here is Jesus as the Son of God, as a human, is that it says here that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. See, Jesus, as the pre-incarnate Son of God, cannot die. Who can take the life of God? He is life itself. But Jesus Christ comes to the world and becomes a man, fully God and fully man, and puts on flesh and bone and blood. And flesh and bone and blood can die. Jesus stepped in. You know, if you see, if you read the prodigal son, the prodigal son is really all about the refusal of the second son, the older son, to go find the prodigal son and bring him home. And that second son is the Pharisees. It's really about the Pharisees. And it's about Jesus saying, I will come to go find the prodigal, the one who has resigned his sonship, and I will bring him back into the house and reinstate him as a child of the father. We will put the family ring and robe on his body and celebrate him. And in order to do that, Jesus Christ has to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, when, this, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he is resurrected from the dead as the God-man, as the representative of all of humanity. When Jesus is declared the Son of God, what is being declared is that everyone who Jesus has rescued, who believes in him, can also become a son of God as well. Even a human being, a sinful human being, like you and me. Because his sacrifice is sufficient for all of his people. Jesus is our king, our representative, our Lord. He is the way. One of my favorite books when I was younger was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you remember how the story begins, how Lucy goes and she finds Narnia and then she comes back. No one believes her. And then Edmund goes in. And Edmund is seduced by the white witch and all that she offers. And this sickness begins in his heart. Edmund betrays his family and betrays all that is good. And the white witch comes to claim her prize. When Aslan comes back, she says to Aslan, this uh, one Edmund, according to the deep magic written in the stone table, every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery I have the right to kill. Aslan forgives Edmund. 
But unfortunately, that's not all it takes, right? Aslan goes to the stone table to be sacrificed in Edmund's place because one must die for betrayal of the law, the dark magic written on the, the deep magic written on the stone table. And we see this horrific uh, picture of when Aslan is killed as the white witch and her minions look on in glee. And later after they're all gone, Susan and Lucy are sitting next to Aslan who lies dead on the table weeping. And they see the uh, rats who come and they're starting to chew away the rope and they look off because the sunrise is beginning. And as they look off, they hear this deafening crack. And when they turn around, they see that the stone table has been broken in half and Aslan has disappeared. And they look again and Aslan appears fully whole. And they ask Aslan, is this more magic? What has happened? And Aslan says, the witch was right that the deep magic decreed that all traitors' lives were forfeited. But if she had looked back before the dawn of time, she would have read a different incantation. Because her knowledge only went back to creation. That there was a deeper magic that says that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. C.S. Lewis was interviewed on this uh, particular section. And that stone table, C.S. Lewis was thinking specifically of the stone tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. The law, which serves to condemn us because we are all traitors to our Heavenly Father. All have broken the law of God. But Jesus has fulfilled the law and broken that which holds us so that we, once again, could be children of God. We are Edmund, and the law says that we must die. But Christ has come. Our Passover law has been sacrificed. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law of love, which is the greatest law of all. See, the gospel is calling us. Jesus is calling us to live in the freedom that we have in him. That we don't have to live as a castaway or a cast off far away from the house of our Heavenly Father, hoping for a rescue that will never come. Throwing our bottles into the sea day after day in vain hope that someone will hear us. Because of Jesus Christ, we are not a castaway, but a son. So hold the message close to you. He is a living message. He has come to bring life to you and to me and to take up residence in our hearts and to reassure us through the Holy Spirit that we too are children of God. This is the message of the gospel. And this brings me to my final point. That God is calling us and Paul is calling us in this message to respond wholeheartedly. Notice what he says in verse 5. 
Paul is saying that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, among all peoples such as ourselves. What does this obedience of faith mean? Is it saying to live an obedient life that follows out of our faith in Jesus Christ? Or is it saying that the obedience itself is to believe and have faith? And the answer is yes. See, obedience always involves faith. And faith always involves obedience. It's to believe and to respond by this belief, by surrendering our life to him and following him. See, Jesus' call was very simple, really, at the end, isn't it? Follow me. Trust what I have said to you and what I have done. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Like Paul, who has given himself over to Jesus as a slave, as a devoted slave, the call is the same to us. Look in verse six, that we are called to belong to Christ Jesus. We were not designed to belong to ourselves or to another. We are made in the image of God. Humans are constantly searching for something or someone to give our hearts to. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a sports team, a band, a job, a cause. But all of them fall short. In Jesus Christ, we finally find the one who is worthy of all of our worship and devotion. The one who we were actually made to give our hearts to. I finish with this thought. Christmas is over, and one of the things that I love about Christmas being over is there are some very, very annoying songs that constantly play during the Christmas season. And one of those is, Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart, the very next day, you gave it away. Every single other minute they're playing that song. But there is something to that song. I gave you my heart, whoever this person was, and you didn't care for it. Indeed, the very next day you betrayed it. So next year, I'll give it to someone who actually will care for it and love it as much as I have loved that person by giving them my heart. See, in our deepest recesses of our heart, there is a special love. I call it your heart love. It is the deepest essence of who you are. And we are seeking to give that to the right person. But it's only in the message, Jesus Christ, that we find one who is worthy, who will not give away our hearts, but who will treat it special. So I sum up with this. Our message in a bottle has been answered. The messengers have come. And the message is a person, Jesus Christ. So trust the message. Respond 
to him in faith and obedience. For you and I are called to belong to our Lord and King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you heard our SOS and you came and you stood beside us and for us and laid down our life and created a way and a path back to our Heavenly Father that we too might be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus, help us to give our hearts to no one less than you, for only you are worthy of our heart love. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.